Well, hello and welcome to H2 Tech Talk, the podcast series from H2 Tech, the new hydrogen technology journal from Gulf Energy Information. I'm Adrian Bloom, Editor-in-Chief of H2 Tech and your host for H2 Tech Talk. This week, we'll be talking with Joris Mertens, Principal Consultant for KBC Advanced Technologies about incorporating, optimizing, and managing industrial hydrogen supply and demand and the move toward decarbonizing hydrogen operations. Before we get started with the discussion, I'd like to remind you to share and subscribe to the H2 Tech Talk podcast for more expert discussions on technology and trends in the hydrogen sector. It's easy to subscribe. Just click the subscribe button on iTunes or Blueberry. So now I'll start by asking Joris to introduce himself and his role at KBC. Joris? Hi, Adrian. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, time flies. I've, uh, I started my career about 30 years ago in the planning and scheduling department of Total Refinery in Antwerp. After a year or two, I moved to the research center of the company where I was in charge of the hydrogen treating pilot plant tests. Uh, I returned to the refinery for a couple of years as a process engineer on the residue hydrogen treater and joined KBC in 1998. Um, initially uh, working as a subject matter expert in hydro processing. After a number of years, I also started working on hydrogen production and hydrogen networks. Um, I've also worked in other areas since uh, LPG recovery, vacuum unit uh, performance um, assessment, even LP uh, linear programming upgrades. And more recently, I'm getting involved in KBC's digital energy management and energy transition efforts. So that's, that's about it. Okay, that's it. That's a lot. <laughs> All right, thank you for that introduction. Mm -hmm. Appreciate it. So um, to kick off our discussion, uh, so you've done a lot of work in emissions reductions at oil refineries and specifically with regard to utility systems such as hydrogen uh, production and use. So what would you say are the most effective technologies and opportunities for reducing emissions in hydrogen consumption uh, for hydro processing units specifically? Okay. Now that covers quite a, a range of things. And so our, our work is mostly focused on cost reduction. And so emission reduction is or becomes part of that. Um, so can I, can I expand a little bit on costs? Yeah. Yes, please do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, well, typically on conventional units with steam reformer or hydrogen um, refineries, uh, cost of hydrogen is uh, or used to be largely set by the cost of the feed and the fuel, which is nat normally natural gas. And uh, for example, in, in Europe, where the cost of CO2 was a long time below 10 euros per ton, the actual um, CO2 costs was less than 10% of the total hydrogen cost. Now, the current price of CO2 in Europe is 25 euros. So that starts to change uh, this, this, uh, this whole picture. And uh, so we now have a cost of 200, 250 euros per ton of hydrogen, which becomes significant. So um, next we have the emissions, of course. So CO2 emissions from hydrogen consumption are the, uh, basically they are the mathematical product of the hydrogen demand and the carbon content of the feed and fuel to the hydrogen plant, assuming still we're talking about conventional hydrogen production. So um, you will reduce CO2 emissions of a hydrogen plant that runs on NAFTA by 20% if you switch to natural gas, but not many operators are actually running on NAFTA. So in most cases, emission reductions primarily means uh, reducing the hydrogen demand. So hydrogen demand, um, that is the sum basically of the chemical hydrogen consumption and the hydrogen lost in the system. So 
chemical hydrogen consumption typically is difficult to reduce. Sometimes it is. Um, for example, um, some specific examples. Well, you should not send olefins to hydrogen plant as a feed. You should not send olefins to an isomerization unit. Um, sending feed containing benzene to an isomerization unit should be avoided. All this reduces the hydrogen making your hydrogen plant reduce, or increases the, uh, the hydrogen consum consumption on the, on the hydro-treating isomerization units. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, in most cases, hydrogen management comes down to minimizing losses to fuel gas and, and certainly to flare. So I haven't really um, talked about your answer to your question yet. What are most efficient technologies and opportunities for reducing those? So the first step actually is not a sophisticated technology, but properly account for the hydrogen in the system and the losses to fuel gas. It, it sounds obvious, but apparently it isn't because most operators don't account for all the losses. So they know more or less how they perform, but not exactly. Now, there are many techniques and, and technologies to limit losses. And I think they're quite well known in the industry. It's okay, avoiding leaks and unnecessary control losses. That should be a zero or low cost step. Um, reducing hydrogen purge streams on the hydro processing units should be considered as well. That will accelerate catalyst deactivation. So there's an operating cost involved. Um, an interesting option uh, is also to route hydrogen containing uh, gases back to the hydrogen plant as a feed, but that may require investment in compression and H2S removal. Um, adding purification cap capacity requires even a bit more investment. And then of course, yeah, you can think about whole new units. Um, so anyway, I can go on for a while uh, discussing this and um, maybe to finish off the, 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 the tech reduction techniques, cryogenic hydrogen recovery is an interesting one um, because it's not a lot considered at the moment. Um, there are not many cryogenic hydrogen systems or hydrogen recovery systems around because they are expensive to build and they consume a lot of electrical power. Now, this metric may change a little bit because in addition to hydrogen, you also remove ethane and heavy from the gases and ultimately you reduce fuel gas make on the site. And even now, some refineries hit what we call the, uh, the fuel gas wall. That means the refinery produces too much natural gas to actually consume it. And um, that some cases that results in summer in uh, even in flaring, that's something you really want to, to avoid. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so, having the, the, the refinery gas consisting, taking out the hydrogen and the heavier components will allow you to, to electrify your, your, your site. Yeah. There's, there's one thing, if, if I still have the time to, to, I want to highlight is then, in addition to all the techniques and losses, it's important, of course, to, um, to, to do this on a sustained basis, right? So uh, you need continuous monitoring optimization. Um, dashboarding, for example, is, is important. You, you uh, need to show the relevant key performance indicators, KPIs to the different stakeholders, right? But the best practice is really to have hydrogen integrated into your utility management system of the refinery or the petrochemical complex. So um, utility management system will typically optimize fuel, steam and power. Um, so for example, it will tell you which turbines or turbo generators to turn on, on and off to import uh, or produce power, et cetera, et cetera. So, the hydrogen system is connected to the fuel system. So it doesn't really make sense to keep it separate from utility management. Mm -hmm. So we compare utility management to some kind of to like an onion with the, the power consumption is the start at the core of the onion. And then you have fuel consumption that links to, to, to power production, of course, of power consumption, because you need fuel to, to produce the power. 
Um, and then, yeah, you've got a connection with steam system because fuel consumption is related to steel system. So um, all this can be incorporated in, in the digital energy management system. And what you need to do is to include your hydrogen as well as an additional layer of the onion, basically. Mm-hmm. So, and that will become more important in the future because there are new elements that come in. So larger hydrogen networks will offer hydrogen at very variable prices, hydrogen storage facilities, batteries. So yeah, getting a more sophisticated management system is uh, becomes uh, um, also important. So that was quite an explanation of, on a good <laughs> question. Appreciate that uh, explanation. So kind of um, moving from the topic of gray hydrogen, uh, so the use of blue hydrogen, um, which uh, is produced from methane reforming and uses carbon capture technology to be carbon neutral, that's been found to be a viable near-term option for low carbon hydrogen use in refining and ammonia production. So do you see this type of decarbonization strategy being applied on a large scale in industry? And and if so, how? Yeah, well, yes, yes, I see CCS being applied on a large scale and you see it's, it's, it seems to be happening now and it's for well, technical and, and also policy or political reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, technically, things are moving fast, right, for both um, technologies, and I say both technology, I mean green hydrogen versus blue hydrogen, because that's what we're talking about, right? So especially actually for the green hydrogen, the cost has dropped dramatically even more than for, for the blue hydrogen, but but it's still higher than the cost of green hydrogen is still higher than the cost of blue hydrogen, mm-hmm. and probably for another 10 years. That's why, that's a technical reason why there's a there's a, there's a push for, uh, for CCS. Um, so, but on the other hand, 10 years is not extremely long either, is it? Mm-hmm. So, um, the CCS cost curve is also going down, but we're still talking about um, $100 per ton CO2, well above the current carbon prices in any region. So uh, nevertheless, there's a push for CCS because of the technological, the technical aspect, because it's still cheaper than the green one, mm-hmm. and because of the need to actually reduce emissions. Um, and it's a get of a lot of, a lot of public, public funding or public funding yeah, to, close, to close that gap between the 25 euro value for cost of hydrogen on the market and the $100 per ton CO2 uh, CCS cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but to some extent, that's, that's a political choice, right? Uh, because carbon capture and storage is a mature technology in a way. And um, economically, using subsidies uh, and other support mechanisms um, primarily to develop uh, novel technologies are, are the best way to spend money. So, which means in principle, investing more in green would make even more sense, but that of course would make CCS more expensive and less attractive. And so we wouldn't be able to meet our, uh, our carbon reduction targets. So how to overcome this dilemma? And um, well, it ultimately means that a carbon price has to increase. Ideally, it means a global carbon market mm-hmm. that should be set up at the price uh, level reflecting the real cost. So the $100 a ton. Now that's difficult and complex. And if that's not considered for now, then a border tax is something to consider to create a level playing field. Now that's difficult and complex as well, but it should be considered. Now the European Commission um, was very reluctant to do this, but they changed their position a year ago. And it is working on a border tax. 
Um, we have to see what uh, what they come up with. And uh, I suspect they will uh, plan to talk first to the Biden administration, right, before they actually mm-hmm. do some kind of some, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that does remain to be seen. Um, so, so speaking of Europe, so one thing we've seen recently is uh, the integration of green hydrogen production into uh, fuels refining. Um, there's the the refine project at the Rhineland refinery in Germany. There's yep. the Multiply project at the Nesti biodiesel refinery in Rotterdam. Uh, there's the Masilia project at the Totalis Lamed refinery, uh, biorefinery in France. And then there's the Lingen Green Hydrogen Project at uh, the BP uh, Lingen refinery in, in Germany, uh, just to name a few. So do you see potential mm-hmm. for these types of projects outside of Europe anytime soon? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, well yes, um, it all depends, of course, on the incentive and the targets uh, to uh, and the push to... Uh, which is there at the moment in Europe, and there's a lot of public funding made available. So, uh, I guess now in the U- in the US we'll see the same thing. We see similar things happening in the in the Middle East, where uh, yes. they have a lot of sun, right? Um, one thing I do want to note is that um, the initiatives are they are excellent. Uh, they're still at a limited scale, though. I see the the numbers uh, or the figures is three megawatt, ten megawatt, fifty megawatt. So you need about fifty megawatt hour to produce one ton of hydrogen. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I was in a, uh, a workshop a year and a half ago, and there they explained that, uh, but you can do the calculus yourself <laughs> to produce 1% of the pre-COVID uh, European kerosene demand, yeah, pre-COVID that is, mm-hmm. um, using hydrogen CO2 and then the Fischer drop synthesis, you need about one gigawatt of power. So you need huge amounts of power. Um, but these, that doesn't mean that these projects are, are not important on the contrary. They're, they're critical mm-hmm. in moving uh, green hydrogen production to an industrial level. But yeah, they at the moment, they need support. Mm-hmm. It'll be important for laying the foundation for what's possible in the future, I think. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's also one of the ways to, uh, if I, sorry to interrupt, but if one of the ways to reduce the, the cost of, uh, of green hydrogen is actually scaling up, right? The, the main, yes. mm-hmm. so to, to reduce the investment cost, the main uh, cost factor is the, power, is the cost of power. And, uh, and then the other one is, uh, is the electrolyzers. And the electrolyzers will be getting cheaper with the novel technology, but also with, uh, with just a larger scale of the, of the electrolyzers. And therefore, these projects are so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, and, and kind of a, as a last question, so looking at a broader scale of, of the hydrogen sector and, and, and having spoken just now of those green hydrogen projects at the different uh, uh, refineries and, and biorefineries. So we've seen um, recently utilities firms such as uh, Nextera and Iberdrola and Uniper moving into the hydrogen space, um, which is an area typically dominated by oil and gas firms. So over the longer term, do you expect oil and gas companies or instead utilities companies to dominate in the green hydrogen sector? Yeah, well, I'm not sure if either will dominate. It might be both. I think both will be important players. Um, but the, yeah, the oil and gas companies should be. I mean, Tesla, for example, they produce electrical cars and they have been proactive enough to invest in batteries because they use a lot of batteries. So all refiners and ammonia producers are the largest hydrogen consumers. So it makes sense that those companies invest in green hydrogen, which they seem to start, do, they start doing. Um, the investments required are, are very substantial. 
And in spite of all the difficulties the old majors are, are having at the moment with, with COVID, they still have relatively deep pockets, so which puts them in a, in, a, in a good position to actually get it done. So I think they will become important players, but yeah, so will be others, utility companies, of course. I don't know if there are independent wind farm operators, but anyone who produces power, of course, with a, with a wind farm, uh, it makes a lot of sense to, uh, not, uh, um, to not having to sell the power at a zero price when there's a lot of supply due to a lot of wind and to be able to, uh, to store the, the value of the wind in, in hydrogen produced. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a bit of both. I think, uh, yes, mm-hmm. the, the, the all majors, they seem to, to start investing in, uh, in green hydrogen, but uh, they're not the only ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I want to thank you, Yoris, for sharing uh, your insights and, and, and your views with the H2 tech audience today. Uh, yeah, appreciate well, pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing your expertise and, and your views. And um, uh, if the listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to share and subscribe to the H2 Tech Talk podcast on iTunes or Blueberry. And thanks for listening.